Open with me, if you would, your copy of God's Word to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Uh, 2 Samuel 6, we'll be looking at, we're taking a short break uh, from Isaiah here, but still hitting on a theme of Isaiah, the holiness of God. Second Samuel 6, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 15. Hear now God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we have your Holy Spirit to help us understand it. And so we ask for his power to be at work in us right now, that we would see, hear, and understand all the things you would have for us. Conform us to Christ through this word, for we ask in his name. Amen. So about maybe 15 or 20 years ago, I have trouble remembering, I'm from southern Illinois, and the snow in southern Illinois lasts a lot longer. It doesn't just get, you know, melted by the sun's rays the next day like it does here. So it, it, it lingers and it gets dirty. And so around Christmas time, we're having a, thanks, or we're having a, a Christmas get-together. It might have been a Thanksgiving get-together at a community center in one of the towns. So my mom's side of the family all the extended family come in. We're all having a, a great grand old time. 
And then all of a sudden, all of the festivities, all of the, of the joy that we were having comes to a screeching halt because my sister, Kirsty, who you've probably seen on occasion in here, my sister Kirsty slips on the stairs because there's ice and her chin you know, hits the concrete and there's a gash and there's stitches and you know, it, it's a mess. Uh, and she has to go to the ER. Of course, she's fine. But it was in that moment that we realized we got really comfortable with our surroundings. And we were having a great time, but then something happened that made us realize and remember, this is a perilous, dangerous atmosphere. And something along those lines happens in our passage today, doesn't it? As they're rejoicing, they've got the ark, they're bringing it back to Jerusalem, and then Uzzah dies. And it brings everybody to this stark realization of reality. And so what I want you to see through the passage today as we walk through it is that we must approach God's holy presence through Jesus Christ. So see that from this text today. We must approach God's holy presence through Jesus Christ. Now, we're coming into a passage in like the middle of some narrative. So, you know, just to give you a little bit of context, what's going on here? Well, the Ark of the Covenant is an expensive and important piece of furniture that goes, that belonged in the tabernacle and, and later after this would be in the temple. The Ark of the Covenant goes beyond Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, you, you, you might get at best what it sort of could have looked like, but that's about as far as you could take Indiana Jones. But the Ark of the Covenant sat inside of the Holy of Holies. So you have in the tabernacle or temple, you have the outer area and inner area, and you have the Holy of Holies where the Ark sat. And the high priest went in there once a year to sprinkle the blood of sacrifice onto the mercy seat. Our text says, the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. His special presence was there above those cherubim, above the angels that are on top of the ark, and the blood would be sprinkled upon it. And of course, that, that's the picture of Jesus Christ, his blood being sprinkled before God, God receiving that sacrifice. Well, the ark, because of Israel's sin, had been captured by the Philistines. And so here, David has finally come to the throne. He's finally able to get some semblance of peace and say, now we're going to go get the ark. We're going to go retrieve the ark from the Philistines. And so that's, that's where we're at. That's where this moment. And so his getting the ark is the icing on the cake. But think about this. It's not just icing on the cake. David has, David has come to the throne. He's king. He's got his kingdom. Why do we need to get the ark? Because God's presence matters more than anything else. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? The Israelites need to go retrieve the ark, not because the ark is super special in and of itself, but God's presence is what makes it holy. God's presence is what makes it set apart. And God's presence is supposed to be on the mercy seat, in the tabernacle, so we have a continual picture 
of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so the value of the ark, as I said, is the value is in God himself who sits enthroned upon it. It is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. Again, a quick reminder, when you in your Bible see that capital L-O-R-D, that is the name Yahweh in Hebrew. Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts, is what that says right there. And so we see the status of God first. The status of God as holy and set apart. But not only the status of God, we also see his statutes or his laws or his rules at play here. Now, it might be a little bit hidden to you at first, but let me put it this way. If you're watching a soccer game or a football game or a, if you're watching any sport and you know the rules and you see somebody commit a foul, you can pick it out right away. Well, we aren't the most familiar with the rules of the Jewish civil and ceremonial law. But just like if you were watching a sports event, you can pick out that foul, we should pick out a foul here. The foul is they are carrying the ark on a cart. Now God's law, God's rules, his, his, civil, his ceremonial law said that the ark was supposed to be carried by hand by the Levites with 2,000 cubits. So a cubit is roughly here to here. Uh, 2,000 spans of those between the Levites carrying the ark up here and the rest of the congregation. But what do we have here? We've got the ark on an ox cart being driven by Uzzah and Ahio from the house of Abinadab where the ark had been for about the last 20 years. The, the ark had been in Abinadab's house for a long time. They went to retrieve it, and they're bringing it in. Moses didn't give Levites the oxen and wagons for this very reason. Number 7-9 says, To the sons of Kohath he gave none, that is, no oxen or wagons, because they were charged with the service of the holy things that had to be carried on the shoulder. What this reminds us is that the ends does not justify the means. We've heard that phrase before. Should the ark have been in Jerusalem? Yes. But does that justify their method, their unbiblical, unlawful method in getting it there? No, obviously not. Does God want you to provide for your family? Yes, that's biblical and appropriate. Does it justify cheating on your taxes or having a selfish display of pride so your boss you know, sees you doing really good work? Does the Lord want you to do well in your academics, in your sports? Yes. Does it justify cheating? No, of course it doesn't. And we see that here. The end of getting the ark to Jerusalem did not justify the means by which they were doing it. And so the other thing that this shows us is that because of this decision, dominoes start to fall. Our sin has effects beyond simply offense toward God and offense toward man. There are other dominoes that begin to fall because of our sinful decisions. What happens whenever you discipline your children in an overly corrective way? 
you get reciprocation of, of wrath. What happens whenever you speak harsh words to your spouse? Sometimes they come right back with viper's lips, right? And then, and then it's, it's a snowball. It's an avalanche. Our sin has consequence. David's decision, Abinadab, Uzzah, and Ahio's decision has consequences beyond in, in itself. And we see the next domino fall. They're carrying on a, on a new cart brought out of the house of Abinadab. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, are driving the cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. They are celebrating, and then the ox stumbles, and Uzzah puts out his hand to the ark of God and takes hold of it. And God, God's anger is kindled against him, and he strikes him down there because of his error. In Uzzah's death, right here, we see God's judgment, God's holiness, that he can't be approached in the strength, in the individuality of any single person other than Christ himself. No one is able to approach God. They are commanded to not touch the holy things lest they die. That's the words that are used in the Old Testament. But now, we, we look at this, and part of our natural inclination can be, well, God, doesn't that seem a little harsh? I mean, he was just trying to stop it from falling. Can't you just let him touch it? Isn't it okay for, you know, just a moment? A commentator by the name of McLaren says, the problem is that Uzzah sees no difference between the ark and any other valuable article. The ark is different because God is different, because God is holy. The other thing, remember, the ark had been in Abinadab, Uzzah, and Ahio's house for about the past 20 years. The other thing that this reminds us, as we've heard, familiarity can breed contempt. We become used to the things of God. Jesus is a prime example of this. As he's speaking, he says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. The people who know Jesus already, they've gotten familiar with him and they hold him in contempt. A prophet's not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and among his household. Um, R.C. Sproul, I think it is in his book, The Holiness of God, he says this of Uzzah. Uzzah presumed that his hand was cleaner than the dirt to which the ark would fall. Uzzah presumed that his hand was cleaner than the dirt to which the ark would fall. The dirt is a natural creation of God. It has no inherent cleanliness or uncleanliness, but our hands, our hands are stained, so to speak, with sin. And trying to reach out and touch God in and of ourselves results in exactly what we see here. We see that God's law is broken. There's holy judgment and death. And that he cannot, God cannot abide sin's presence. And so this reminds us, as we come to passages of Scripture like this, it should really cause us to pause and say, God, I have become too familiar with your holiness. 
you really are set apart, different than me. When we see judgment that is harsh, but also just, when we see judgment that is just, it should remind us of of how much we've gotten used to God when he should be really more separate in our minds. And we can look at this and we could be hard on Uzzah. But remember, or what I want you to see here in this particular section is that Uzzah really is a reflection of every different kind of person in different ways. Uzzah is a reflection of the unbeliever who just in and of himself just tries to approach God in and of themselves, in and of their own merit, of which we have none, but approaching God and receives God's just judgment. Uzzah is also every type of churchgoer who sits here who is not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone who has been around the things of God, been around the presence of God, just like Uzanahio had been around the presence of God for a long time, but treated it with contempt, got used to it. Hebrews says, you treat the blood of Christ with contempt. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose Will, be, will he be thought worthy of who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant of grace by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? If you're sitting here in this church, don't take the blood of Christ for granted. If you are not yet united to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and repentance in him, the, the Scripture says how much worse Will it be for you who are sitting here and hearing the grace of God all every Sunday for hours throughout the, throughout the whole year? Don't treat the blood of Christ with contempt. Realize its value. Realize its work in forgiving sinners. But lastly, Uzzah is every type of believer, believing Christian, who becomes used to the things of God, who is so used to what we do as Christians that it becomes just very normal, commonplace, not significant, not special. The fact that we can gather here and sing praise to God, that we're united to Him, that's something the world doesn't get to do because they're not yet united to Christ. Have you ever been? I'll admit I have been. So have you ever been in that church service? You're like... Man, baptism and the Lord's Supper, well, this is going to be a long one, right? Oh, preacher, I already got the gospel. I get it. I get it. Faith, repentance, believe in Jesus, forgiveness of sins, imputation of righteousness. Can we get beyond that? And can we just start getting to some more like core application for my life? This is how we as believers become too familiar with the things of God, with the gospel. And Uzzah is a little window into us. Well, what is David's response to God's judgment? The response to holy judgment we see in verse 8 and 9. David was angry because, of the, because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me. So Perez Uzzah just literally means the breaking out 
against Uzzah. And uh, David is angry, and I see this as unrighteous anger against God for breaking out against Uzzah, that David is upset with God's judgment, with God's decision, with his providence that has occurred. And that's something for us to ask ourselves. How do we respond to the providential hand of God in our lives? Whenever something unexpected happens, whenever there's an unexpected death, whenever there's an unexpected diagnosis, when there is a, a breaking out, so to speak, of the effects of sin, whatever, the, whatever those might be, when there is a breaking out in our lives, how do we respond? Do we respond with saying, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord? Or, in this particular instance, we see a, a rash, angry David uh, being upset with the Lord. So it's something for us to ask ourselves. But on the flip side, you can be comforted in all of God's providences. Whatever breaking out there is against you, if you're in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's actually a comfort. Hebrews reminds us that God disciplines those he loves like children. And so we, should, we can actually be thankful for the hard providences that come to pass in our lives. Even something that would be like this, like this piece of Scripture. Well, David fears, and he asks basically a rhetorical question. He's afraid of the Lord, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Really, he's saying, the ark of the Lord cannot come to me. Something is wrong here. And so the ark he takes and sets it aside in this guy's house, Obed-Edom the Gittite. Now, David says, essentially, through his rhetorical question, the ark of the Lord cannot come to me. So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And this reminds us that when we are caught up in that, those dominoes falling of sin, whenever the snowball is rolling down the mountainside, there's a moment where you don't have to just keep letting the dominoes fall. Hold on. Stop. I'm sorry for what I said. I shouldn't have said it in that way. I shouldn't have said it in that tone. Don't let the dominoes keep falling. Just like David, you can take a step back. Now, we, we understand the good and the bad things about David's attitude. He seems unrighteously angry, but at the same time, he's Something is wrong here, guys. We need to stop and reevaluate. Whenever you're in the middle of the snowball of sin, stop and ask for forgiveness from the person with whom you're having that interaction with. I always find it, I, I found it personally very humorous and funny. I feel like, what would it be like to be Obed-Edom the Gittite? You get this knock on the door, Obed-Edom, uh, the ark, Uzzah just died next to the ark. Can we put it in your garage? <laughs> but he takes it into his house, and it remains in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blesses the house of Obed-Edom. How is it possible to stand in the presence of a holy one and live? How is it possible? Is, is there someone who is able to stand 
before the Lord. And it appears there is a right way to handle this ark, to handle approaching the presence of God. And what I want you to see from verses basically 13 to the end is that there is blessing through sacrifice. And I want you to see these themes and images that come out here in the end. So David, he goes to get the ark from Obed-Edom's house and he brings it into the city. But now notice what they're doing. David says in 1 Chronicles 15, because you did not carry it, 1 Chronicles 15 is like the parallel to this passage. Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us. Because we did not seek him according to the rule. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And so what do we see here? When those who bore the ark of God had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. So now we have the priests doing what they're supposed to do, bearing the ark of God on the shoulder. And they bring it into, into Jerusalem with rejoicing. Now, we see these priests carrying the ark. David is rejoicing. The ark comes into Jerusalem. And as, as we witness their joy, as we witness their pomp and circumstance, we should have the same. We should have the same joy that the Israelites that David has here. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good, to share with what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. When you see, when you read the Old Testament, when you read this section and you see a king and a priest and Jerusalem and the ark, I mean, all that stuff happened a couple thousand years ago. Why should we have the same kind of joy that they do? I mean, we don't have the same kind of thing happening here, right? But the reason we should have the joy is because we see something better we see something greater. When you see a king, it reminds us of the better king. When you see the priests, it reminds you of the better priest. When you see the ark coming into Jerusalem, it reminds you of the veil that separated the ark from the people, the veil that was torn at the sacrifice of Christ. We don't need to rejoice because we have a, a set-apart holy piece of furniture coming into Jerusalem. We rejoice because Christ, by his sacrifice, carries us into the holy place, into the ark, so that through Christ, you can touch the ark of God, that you can be in God's holy presence because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and that we don't have an earthly Jerusalem that we are waiting to inhabit, that Christ is carrying us to a heavenly Jerusalem, to a new heavens and new earth. And when you see and realize that these themes are in here, prophets, priests, kings, sacrifice, ark, Jerusalem, the shadows remind us of the reality of Christ, that he carries us into the heavenly Jerusalem. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of, blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing and eternal redemption.
And so even through this, we have an eye on the second coming. We know that there's a Jerusalem here, that there's great pomp and circumstance here, but we look forward. And even in our trials, even in our losses, whatever they might be, if we can look at the sacrifice of Christ, just like these people are looking at the shadow of the sacrifice of Christ, if we can look at the reality of Christ, we can have joy, even in our tough circumstances. Samuel Rutherford is quoted as saying, they lose nothing who gain Christ. And so would we remember that we lose nothing who gain Christ, who are looking forward to a heavenly Jerusalem, being brought in by Christ into the presence of God. The ark was a foreshadow of that presence that we are brought into by Jesus Christ. And so praise to the Father, to the Lord of hosts, to the Son who accomplishes it, and to the Holy Spirit who indwells us and brings us forward. Let's pray. Our God, we do thank and praise you that you do not treat us as our sins deserve, that though our hands are stained with dirt and sin, that because of the sacrifice of Christ, you have washed us clean, white as snow, that we can enter your presence. Lord, we lift up ourselves to you. We confess that we become complacent, that we, be, we think of the things of God as being commonplace. We become frustrated with your providence in our lives. And so, Lord, we ask that you would change us, that you would enable us to have even more joy, even more commitment to you, having seen the realities that are beyond the shadowing of the Old Testament. Change us, we pray. Be with us, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.